Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Arrowhead Pride podcast. That's right, it's been a long time coming, but we're finally going to make this happen. I am Seth Kaiser, or Seth Kizor, depending on if you want to pronounce my name, how it actually is spelled. Um, I'm also known as Minnesota Chiefs fan, and I am coming to you with a lot, lot, lot of build-up and time that's been put up into the idea of bringing a podcast to you that is exclusively Arrowhead Prides. And so what I want to do with this podcast is to talk about primarily film review, um, whatever else Chiefs Kingdom happens to be talking about. This will also be a great place for us to take on mailbag questions, which is something that we're going to do a little bit of today. I'm really excited for this. I also have absolutely no idea what I'm doing, so that's going to be terrifically fun. I'm really excited about uh, taking another step forward into bringing content to you guys, and let's see what happens here. First thing that was on my mind today is obviously John Dorsey. That's something that you really can't get away from as a Chiefs fan right now. That's all anyone really wants to talk about or think about. I've made my thoughts on what happened with Dorsey, and the only theory that I could really figure out as to why he's gone, that being the cap and player management. But what I want to talk about just briefly today is who I would like to see replace John Dorsey. As far as I'm concerned, the only candidate that I've seen that would really make me feel better about what's gone on would be Brett Veach, would be an internal promotion. And the reasons for that, uh, I think Sam Mellinger summed up really well in one of his most recent columns, that it would make sense for the Chiefs to hire internally because of the timing of John Dorsey's firing. You're not going to have a ton of really good GM candidates right now. You're just not. This isn't the time of year. The the best guys are either snapped up or teams are going to block you from interviewing them. An additional reason is that right now there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding the Chiefs. Um, a general manager like Dorsey doesn't generally get let go. And so a lot of people are wondering what's going to happen next. It almost feels like the franchise is at a crossroads. And by retaining someone from within, it sends a message to the fans. It actually sends a few messages, in my opinion. The first is that, hey, we had other guys here who were responsible for the finding of good players. By and large, people have credited John Dorsey for that. Promoting a guy like Veach, who was huge in the scouting process, would tell people, we've got a guy here, he's on this. The scouting aspect is what they need to replace most with Dorsey. The business side of things, to be frank, that was his weak spot. And so if Veach can be, uh, to quote someone, uh, I can't remember what he, the exact ratio he gave, but in my opinion, if you gave 90% of the scouting ability, but being better with the cap, in the business side of football, the Chiefs would overall be better off. Andy Reid has a good eye for talent as well, and so he's going to be able to help out anyone who comes in. Veach can work well with Andy Reid. Um, I've looked around, you know, scouring the internet. It's tough to find any quotes about a scout. However, the few things there are out there about Veach are universally positive. Therese Paler even commented in a uh, bit of a throwaway portion of an article saying that Veach is one guy he's never heard a negative thing about. Uh, Matt Miller called him a scout scout, commented how he's widely respected among the league with an eye for talent. 
Um, he was known to be the first guy to pound the table for Fletcher Cox, who has developed into a better player than anyone could have dreamed when he was drafted. He was also the guy who was scouting wide receivers for the Eagles when Deshaun Jackson was drafted. Uh, he was also a guy who really pounded the table for LaShawn McCoy, which people look, think of those players now, and they seem like obvious picks. However, at the time, they weren't necessarily obvious picks. And so it speaks in his favor as someone who recognized talent. And so when you combine the fact that it would be the least amount of friction, the least amount of change in the organization that has been moving in a positive direction, and you've got a guy who's got a good reputation as a talent scout, I think Veach would be the definite, definite way to go. Besides that, what I'd like to do during our inaugural Arrowhead Pride podcast is I want to take a look at some mailbag questions. You guys are always kind enough to send me tons of questions. I don't always have time to get to all of them in writing. And so let's take a look at a few of them in not writing huh? or verbally if you want to use you know real words for things. The question that I got via messaging is from an at TXE Stark. I'm not sure what that means, but I think it means something. He, sta- he asked... May I ask you something? Do you think we can still get into the playoffs next season? Well, I absolutely do. I think this John Dorsey news has really shaken people up. Um, And to the point now to where people are perhaps overestimating the impact it's going to have on the 2017 season. You have to keep in mind the fact this is still a 12-4 roster. This is still a roster that won the division and a roster that had very little turnover. The only major player the Chiefs lost that was a contributor last season, and this is all due respect to Jamal Charles, but he wasn't a contributor last year, was Dontari Poe. And quite frankly, Poe had his worst pro season last year. Now, I have have sung Poe's praises for years while cautioning that he was perhaps a bit overrated by Chiefs fans. This last year, in my opinion, his, his play fell off somewhat drastically from where it was at in 2015, which was already a fall off from where it was at in 2014. And so Poe, in my opinion, just he was an okay player last year, but nothing more than that. In the meantime, the Chiefs brought in Benny Logan, who, in my opinion, is going to end up being an upgrade at the position, particularly against the run, if both players play similarly to how they played in 2016 or 2015. I think he's more stout at the point of attack. I think he's more difficult to move. And I think he's a more aggressive, physical, stronger player, which sounds crazy when talking about Poe. But a lot of Poe's game, when you get past how big a player he is, was predicated on finesse, on speed and agility. And that doesn't always fly when you're playing nose tackle. If you go back and review the film on games where the Chiefs had trouble stopping the run, while Poe wasn't the only issue. There were certainly problems with some of the inside linebackers when DJ went down. But all too often, Poe wasn't doing enough to counteract the other problems on the defense. He was getting moved, particularly if you go back and review any of the games against Oakland or Pittsburgh against high-level centers, Poe really struggled. If you look at Benny Logan's film against high-level centers, you don't see those same struggles. He doesn't win every time, but he certainly holds his own. And so the overarching point there is you've got a team that won a lot of games last year and all the same pieces are coming back. Now, there's obviously the Jeremy Macklin factor, but again, Macklin, as much as I like Macklin, I think it was a mistake to cut him, was not a significant contributor in certain aspects 
of the game in 2015, especially through a stretch of wins. So the offense has shown it can function without him. Do I think it lowers the ceiling? I do. But I don't think it means the offense can't perform at all. And so the idea of the Chiefs just suddenly missing the playoffs now that John Dorsey's out of the picture, I think that's a bit of an overreaction to losing a guy that we all really liked. He was a good talent scout. But the same roster's in place that was in place before he was fired. It's a good team. It's a well-coached team. And... What's going to be really important this next year is you have a lot of guys coming back with their second or third or even fourth or fifth years in the system, or way more in some cases. And what you have is a lot of continuity. Along the offensive line, they should be returning all five guys that were starters at the beginning of last season. At the very least, they're going to have four of the five guys that were there. Um, The wild card is anger and how quickly he can come back from his injury. But you have a bunch of guys who have played together on the offensive line. That's a big, big deal along the line. Continuity and trust, knowing where you're supposed to be. You also have a number of the entire defensive secondary is back. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But you have also a number of guys returning from injury, like an Allen Bailey, like a Derek Johnson, like Justin Houston, who people tend to still overlook, is one of the best players in the NFL when he's healthy he never got fully healthy last year now to hear him talk he's completely 100% back there are a lot of reasons to think this team will be better than it was last year a big part of that being that the most injured front seven in the league will now be healthy and so I wouldn't get too caught up on the ideas that suddenly they're doomed to miss the playoffs they won 12 games last year they've got the whole band back together again there's no reason to think they're going to take a significant step back Another question here from Twitter from a at Mountain Man Mike, if I'm going to use abbreviations here and just say them out loud. He says, Mahomes and Bray versus Lynch and Kelly. Explore that a bit. Well, obviously, uh, Lynch in Denver hasn't panned out quite how they were hoping as of yet because he's still locked in a quarterback competition against uh, Trevor Simeon, which is never a good sentence to say because Simeon is not a good player at least as far as I've seen. Um, He had a big game against the Chiefs largely because of secondary failures, not because he did anything particularly special. He threw the football up, and he got lucky. Uh, So the fact that Lynch hasn't been able to beat that guy out soundly, it makes you question what's going on there. The old saying is if you think you got two starting quarterbacks, you probably don't have one. I feel like that's what's going on a little bit in Denver as they try to talk about this hot quarterback competition between Simeon and Lynch. Um, with regards to Kelly, he worries me a little bit. Um, I found his college film to be pretty impressive. He's got a good arm. He's got good pocket presence. He goes through progressions. He checked a lot of boxes. In fact, if I'm remembering, if I was basing it off film alone, I think I only ranked him behind Mahomes and Deshaun Watson with regards to how he looked on film. And that's a little frightening. Um, The problem with him has always been, you know, supposedly a 10-cent head off the field. And we'll see what happens there. But he definitely looked like a player that could cause some issues for the Chiefs down the road if he gets his head screwed on straight. Because, again, his college film was very impressive, and he was carrying that offense. So we'll have to see moving forward to him. But, again, he's an unknown. And so then you compare that to Mahomes and Bray. Um... Now, both of them are virtual unknowns at this point, too. Both of them have cannons for arms. Um, Here's what we know about Tyler Bray is that he knows the system. He's been in it for a while. 
longer than either Lynch or Kelly have been in their systems. But we also know that Tyler Bray didn't have enough confidence from Andy Reid last year to not have them sign a Nick Foles as a backup. And that doesn't speak highly to how Bray has done, even though he's managed to stick around. Um, you would hope that after all those years with the team, he would have been able to grab the backup position last year in a way that made Andy Reid confident he didn't need to go out and sign a Nick Foles. Well, that's not what happened. And so I don't have a lot of confidence there. Um, so then we turn to Patrick Mahomes. Um, it's well known that he is one of my he was my favorite quarterback in the draft. I was thrilled when they went up and drafted him. If you go back and you compare Mahomes in college to any of the other guys, his tape stands out. Um, Lynch's college tape was okay. Bray's college tape was okay. Kelly's college tape, I think, was better than either of those two. And Mahomes was a significant notch above all three. Uh, he's got a he's got a superior arm. He's got superior pocket presence. He's got he's demonstrated a superior ability to sit back in the pocket and go through reads. And so with all of these guys, you're talking about potential. I would actually put Bray at the bottom because he's been in the league the longest and has yet to really do much. And so when you're talking in terms of potential, eventually you got to give up that conversation. And I feel like Tyler Bray has reached that point to an extent. After that, I would put Lynch, honestly. I was not impressed with how he looked when he played in the pros, even though his college tape wasn't awful. He did not look like a guy who can play quarterback. Now, we'll see. Could have just been a rough rookie year. But right now, I would take the unknown of Kelly over what I've seen from Lynch. And it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out with the Broncos moving forward. Obviously, I would call Mahomes far and away the most... The, the, the one with the most potential out of all those guys. Moving on to another mailbag question here. This goes a lot faster than typing it. So um, I, I had a few questions here from at BD Chiefs fan. Um, one on Wonder Woman, but I haven't seen that yet. I plan on it, but I haven't seen it. Um, then one on Kaepernick, and I am not touching that with a 10-foot pole because I want half of you to like me. And if I answer a Kaepernick question, half of you at least are going to hate me. So there's that. Um, but the question he asked that I'm going to talk about here is why is Dak, as in Dak Prescott, rated so high? Didn't he basically manage the game? To an extent, yes. Dak Prescott was by and large a game manager. He was in the best situation in the NFL. He had a great offensive line. He had Des Bryant and Jason Witten to throw to. And he had a fantastic running back in Ezekiel Elliott. So a great running game protecting him. And so by and large, his job was to execute. What set Dak a little bit above just being a game manager? Well, a few things. One, game manager isn't necessarily a bad term. If you manage the game well and you make very few mistakes and you do exactly what needs to be done, that's a good thing. The reason most quote-unquote game manager quarterbacks aren't considered great quarterbacks is because when things go wrong around them, they tend to not be able to rise above. I would say Tom Brady's the greatest game manager in the league. The reason he's not known as just a game manager is because even when other things are going poorly around him, he's able to do more, right? He doesn't need to have everything else go well. And so 
being a game manager isn't a bad thing. You just need to be able to rise above when other guys aren't quite getting their job done. You know, if, if wide receivers aren't quite getting enough separation, you need to be able to stick those throws into two-foot windows. Um, you need to be able to create a few plays on your own when your offensive line isn't blocking very well. And Dak did that more than a few times. Now, I still would say he's largely an unknown as to how good he is. But the fact that he was able to a few times run around, make some plays on his own, that tends to lead people to believe that he's more than just a guy who took advantage of a good situation. Now, the other reason I think he is a bit overrated is because he's young. He's a, He was a rookie last year. And we have a tendency whenever we think of how good a rookie is, we actually don't judge him based on how good he is. We judge him based on how good we think he could be. And that's why, you know, when we talk about Chris Jones, Chris Jones was a very good player last year on the interior. But really, compared to some of the most dominant players in the leagues, he wasn't necessarily dominant. But when we think about him, we almost want to put him in that same category because we see that ceiling is so high. And that's what's going on with Dak, I think. And that's why he's rated as highly as he is, um, because he is he is largely part of a system. But really, any quarterback is going to be gauged, at least in part, by the system around him. Because quarterback, even though it's the most important position in the NFL, is also a position that is dependent on those around them. And so a, a good quarterback might look great, depending on the pieces around him. And I think that's what's happening with Dak Prescott. But I do think he's a good quarterback. Moving on to a question from Dylan Miller, at Chiefs Crazy. He asked me, confidence in wide receiver core in the Chiefs wide receiver core well it's a lot lower than it was a few weeks ago nobody stumped for Macklin harder than I did um I wrote a few articles talking about him um in one article in particular I just showed him getting open against the Steelers in the playoff game his stats weren't good last year but down the stretch he was getting open and there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that he would have continued to do so and I think he's going to bounce back and have a strong year um, the wide receiver core is kind of an unknown. A lot of it depends on whether guys hit their projection or whether they develop as we hope. I will say I reviewed Tyreek Hill's film. I've reviewed him running what you'd call normal wide receiver routes, and he constantly gets separation. I think if he's willing to put the work in, and from all accounts he is, he is a guy with all the attributes to be a number one wide receiver, whatever you want to call him, a Z receiver, someone who can be targeted 100-plus times and be a major focal point of the offense. I think the talent's there, and I think he demonstrated, even down the stretch last year, that he was already getting there. If you watch him against Chris Harris Jr. in the Broncos, he gave Harris some real problems, and Harris is an exceptional cover corner. Um, the only corner I saw really actually give Hill problems was Aqib Tlaib. And even then, it wasn't 100% of the time. And so I think Hill has the skills that you need. He tracks the ball very well. He's obviously incredibly fast. He's got good hands, as far as I can tell. He is incredibly dangerous after the catch. But that ability to track the ball in the air is what's going to make him such a dangerous deep threat because not only can he outrun whatever corner is covering him, but the throw doesn't need to be perfect for him to come down with it because he'll track it down and snag it out of the air. A lot's going to really hinge on what Chris Conley does, and I've only reviewed a few games of his so far. And what I know about Chris Conley is that he was significantly better 
at route running and handling physical coverage in 2016 than he was in 2015. I'm still not sure if he's a guy who gets as much separation as like as I'd like. His his quickness in and out of breaks isn't great. Um, but he was much stronger on the field, and he was starting to really take advantage of the fact that he's, he's actually a fairly good-sized receiver. And so what he often did was he used physicality to get separation from corners that got too close. It'll be interesting to see if he continues to do that moving forward, if that's the, the route that he goes. He also made some really impressive contested catches. And so he's got good, strong hands, and a few to- the few times that Alex really asked him to do something, he, he really went for it. And he would actually spear the ball out of the air even when he had a corner draped all over him. Now, whether that'll translate, who knows? But we do know we had one guy who was something of a phenom, improved as the year went along in Tyreek Hill, and continued to do everything he they asked of him. Everything they've asked so far, he's done, and he's done exceptionally well. So the hope is that that trend will continue. It's the same case with Chris Conley. He improved a great deal from year one to year two, so the hope is the same thing will happen year two to year three. I think we'll take one more mailbag question and then we'll wrap up this uh, this very first uh, Arrowhead Pride podcast. And this is from at Mitch Depu Depu. Man, I'm really sorry if I'm just butchering these. By the way, pronunciation had never been my thing. He asked in a pair of tweets. In your opinion, who needs to make take the biggest step forward in order to make this team unstoppable or close to it? In other words, if you could add plus ten to any player's Madden overall, but in real life, who would it be? Now, the obvious answer there is is always quarterback. It's always quarterback. So I won't use that one to cheat. I would say, knowing what I know about this particular Chiefs game, about this particular Chiefs team, if I wasn't allowed to add it to the quarterback, I think I would probably add it to... Oh, man, that's actually a tougher question than you think when you leave out quarterback because there are a lot of players that are already really solid on the Chiefs. I'm thinking that I would go with probably Allen Bailey up front. Um, and the reason for that, it might seem like a random guy, but Allen Bailey's is an already fairly solid defensive lineman. He's going to be playing next to Benny Logan, a good defensive lineman, and Chris Jones, a good defensive lineman. And the hope for me would be if you added a plus 10 to him or whatever, if he took a huge step forward as a pass rusher, is you would have a really brutal front three, a really strong front three, incredibly tough to run on, and one that would generate quite a bit of pressure when you combine that with Chris Jones. Anytime you can get the guys up front causing pressure and creating havoc, that has a ripple effect throughout the defense. The reason I wouldn't choose anyone on offense is because, quite simply, I, I'm not sure how much it would really help the offense having, say, a Chris Conley improve drastically. I'm just not sure how much that would improve the offense. Maybe a, maybe a player that I would name would be like a Spencer Ware, um, because I think that could help a great deal. But I think if you wanted to have the biggest impact, assuming everyone stays healthy, I think if you went had Alan Bailey go from a solid defensive lineman to an elite defensive lineman, I think you would have a team that would be incredibly frightening for opposing quarterbacks to face. That's the time I've got for you guys today. I hope to hear all about it on Twitter, what I did right and what I did wrong in this first podcast. I'm really looking forward to moving forward to this with you guys, and uh, we'll talk soon.